chapter, so we're going to skip ahead uh, in time in the Gospel of Mark so that we can uh, look at the uh, resurrection account. And then uh, the last few weeks of this month, we're going to come back in Mark and finish up the passages that we skip uh, in hopes of finishing up by the end of this month. So that's our plan through the Gospel of Mark. Today we come to chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 52. We're calling today's message, Keep Calm and... And we'll fill in the blanks a little later, okay? Keep calm and... You know, a few years ago, this poster started popping up all over the place, right? Posters, bumper stickers, and the like. Keep calm and carry on. And it was on social media, t-shirts, coffee mugs. And it wasn't long after that that you started seeing all kinds of variations to this. So I, I've got a few to share with you. This was very popular during the pandemic. Keep calm and wash your hands. Just wash your hands, folks, all right? And this one I saw when recently when Sue and I were in Florida uh, and at, at a beach place. It says, keep calm and swim fast. I like that one. And uh, then I came across this one for all you Star Wars fans. Uh, calm you shall be and carry on you must. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, here's one for our local sports fans. And you can pick your choice of these two. All right. Keep calm. Go Ducks. Go Beavers. And then just because my own uh, sense of humor is a little weird, I found this one I really liked. Uh, keep calm and carry on. Carry on. All right, I'll let you think about that one for just a moment. All right. <laughs> so all of this got me to wonder, I don't know if you're familiar with where the origin of this poster came from. I'd heard that it originated during World War II. It was produced in Britain by the British War Department, but I didn't really know anything about the backstory. And then I came across this video, and I want to share this video with you. So go ahead and roll that video, Merlene, and it gives us a little bit of the story. Um, there we go. In the spring of 1939, during the build-up to war with Germany, the British government commissioned a series of propaganda posters. These posters were intended to offer the public reassurance in the dark days that lay ahead. They were required to be uniform in style and were to feature a special and handsome typeface, making them difficult for the enemy to counterfeit. They used the crown of King George VI as the only graphic device and had just two colours. Of the three final designs that went into production, the first poster carried the slogan, Your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. The second poster had the words, Freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. But the third design, of which over two and a half million posters were printed, simply read, Keep calm and carry on. The first two designs were distributed in September of 1939 and appeared up and down the country in shop windows and railway platforms. But the Keep Calm posters were held in reserve, intended for use only in times of crisis or invasion. In the end, the poster was never officially issued, and it remained unseen by the public, until a copy turned up more than 50 years later. It was found in a second-hand bookshop called Barter Books in the northeast corner of England. Books was begun in 1991 by a couple, Stuart and Mary Manley. 
The building used to be an old Victorian railway station. Huge rows of stacked shelves now stand in the place where the tracks would have been, but the station's old tea rooms and waiting rooms are still there. It was in 2000 that Stuart found the poster in a box of dusty old books that had been bought at auction. Mary liked it so much she had it framed and put it up near the shop till, and it proved so popular with the customers that a year later they began to sell copies. Since that time the poster has been reproduced, parodied and trivialised and has become a truly iconic image of the 21st century. It is hard to say exactly why such a phrase from a bygone decade would have so much appeal and resonance now. Its design is considered simple and timeless, and now commonly recognisable. However, it is perhaps the words on the poster that people find most enchanting. Like a voice out of history, it offers a very simple, warm-hearted message to inspire confidence in others during difficult times, and it's something that should never fade from fashion. To keep calm and carry on. So first of all, how many of you just are dying to go find that bookstore? That looked really cool to me. I would love to go there. Um, it's amazing to me that the British never released that last poster because they wanted to save it for a time of great crisis. And I got to thinking, if you've ever read any of the history of Britain in World War II, you ever heard about the, the Nazis bombing London? No, not a great crisis, I guess. Keep calm and carry on. But, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about just the time that we live in. And we sort of live in a time of crisis, don't we? We've just been through a time of pandemic. There's economic uncertainty. There's political polarization in our nation. There's a war in Eastern Europe. And as we live through this time of crisis, maybe we need that message. Keep calm and carry on. So this morning, we're going to be looking at some events from Mark chapter 14. And as we come into chapter 14, of course, this is uh, the Thursday of what we call Holy Week, the events that we're going to look at today, the last days of the life of Jesus. And this particular day starts with Jesus sending some of his disciples out to scout a location for the Passover meal. And then it, it ends with Jesus getting arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you can imagine that it was probably a pretty stressful, chaotic day for the Lord. I think Jesus, of course, was fully aware, aware of, of what he was about to go through. But as, as we look at this, I want you to pay attention as we go through the text at how completely in control Jesus was in the last 36 hours of his life. And using then Jesus as our model, we're going to look at four things that we might choose to do to help us to manage the chaotic, the stressful, the difficult days in which we live as we seek to keep calm and carry on. And so the first attitude that we want to consider that the Lord models for us is to keep calm and create community. Create community. When Jesus woke up, on that Thursday morning, I think he had full knowledge of what the day would bring. He knew that the next day that he would be handed over to be crucified, which makes it kind of amazing to me that the first thing that he does on that Thursday is to dispatch two of his disciples to make dinner plans. 
So I want us to read together this first part of the text, verses 12 through 16. Let's read together the words on the screen. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus sends his disciples into the city and all he says is, find a guy carrying a water jug. Now, the city is packed with people at that time. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. How are they going to find one guy carrying a water jar? And when you find that guy, Jesus says, he'll show you where to go, and that's where we'll have our Passover meal. Well, we know that in first century culture that it was very uncommon for the men to carry jars of water. That would have been considered woman's work in the first century. Now, Jesus also knew that the religious leaders were looking to arrest him. As soon as he entered into Jerusalem, they are lying in wait. He knows that. And so I think maybe that he arranged to observe the Passover secretly in order to throw his opponents off the scent. So there's a good chance that this was prearranged, this signal of a man carrying a water jar that would lead the disciples to that very special private upper room where they could share that last meal together as a community of brothers. And sure enough, everything is exactly how Jesus would set it to be. And that evening, Jesus sat down with his disciples for that final meeting. We know from Luke's account of this same evening that Jesus told his disciples, he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This meal was very important to Jesus. This time with his community was vital. So vital that he made special plans to make sure that time was very well protected. We also know that when the meal was over, that according to John's gospel, that Jesus got up from his seat and he began to wash his disciples' feet. In John 13, 1, it says that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see that statement of pure community? He loved these guys. He had spent the last three years pouring everything into this community that he had built, this community of followers. When the world seemed to be spinning out of control around Jesus, Jesus kept calm and he created community. And I think that's so important for us to remember, friends. Now, in this midst of our crisis, our world, the upheaval that we live through. How important is community for you, for me, for God's called out people? Community is necessary. It is vital. In fact, God created us to live and thrive in community. You understand that that plan of God's goes all the way back to the beginning when he said it's not good for man to be alone. 
So he created for him a helpmeet. God understood that importance of community as he selected a, a very special man, Abraham. And he then from Abraham's offspring comes this special community, this people, this nation called Israel, God's chosen community. And then from that community comes the Messiah. And from the Messiah and the community that he creates on this very evening is birth, the church, the community of Christ. God's plan is for us to live in community. And it's so vital that we would remember that and focus on that. God has created us to live and to thrive in community. And if you're not living and thriving, then you need to find a community where you can do that. And if you can't find it, you need to create it. Jesus created community. You know, during this pandemic here at Garden Way, we, we tried to do a pretty good job of continuing to, to lead church services. Back when, when, when services were canceled, we couldn't meet together. We, we moved online, and it was pretty weird at first, and it was pretty awkward, and we didn't know what we were doing with the technology and all that, but we got a little better at it, and now we've got to the place where we kind of feel like we, we can present a, a fairly decent worship service or an experience online for those of you out there so that you can be with us here. But even if you aren't here in person, because we're online, you can still worship. You can still hear from God's word wherever you might be. And that is a great blessing to many. But here's the one thing that we can't create online. Community. Online is not a community. Churches have come to understand this. Because we are wired to be with people. There is more to church than sitting on your couch with your Bible and your remote control tuning in on YouTube. And we know this, don't we? We know it. I've heard so many folks say how much they love and appreciate being able to, to tune in to the church or the Bible studies online, and that's great. And I know for some of you out there, you're, you're still leery about being around people because of health reasons, and we understand that. And we're going to continue to offer the online experience. But friends, let's just be honest. It is not the same, and it's not what God has created for us. We need community. When Jesus was facing the biggest crisis of his life, he needed to be with his friends. We're going to see in just a few verses later when he asks three of those guys, Peter and James and John, to just stay with him, to sit with him while he prays. He needed community in the midst of the crisis. And so how are you doing at finding community during this time? If you can't find it, are you looking for ways to create it? We, we try to create a lot of opportunities here, whether it's the worship service or whether it's our Sunday morning adult Bible fellowships or our midweek life groups and various Bible groups that meet or our men's fellowship that meets once a week. Uh, there, there's groups meeting all the time, ladies that are meeting for quilting, all those kinds of things, looking to build a sense of community. And so if you are missing that, why? Find it. Engage in community and get busy because God has created that for you. He's not created us to be alone with him. Jesus kept calm 
and he created community. And folks, we need to do the same thing. Now I want to move on and consider a second attitude that Jesus modeled for us in the text here. And that is to keep calm and connect with the Father. To keep calm and connect with your heavenly Father. After supper, Jesus and his disciples leave that upper room and they head to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. That's a place where olives would have been crushed under the weight of a very heavy stone so that their oil could be harvested. And it was an appropriate place to be because Jesus was at that moment feeling all of the crushing weight of what was about to happen to him. He's about to be poured out. And he knows that. And so again, he seeks his community. And he says, Peter, James, John, come with me. And in verse 34, we read, And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I want you to notice that word Abba in verse 36. Jesus doesn't just call God his Father, Abba is a a term of closeness, of intimacy. It's a reflection of deep trust. You know, there's there's a time for well-crafted, carefully thought-out prayers. Maybe if you've been asked to deliver a, a prayer at some sort of public gathering, maybe you'll think out ahead of time or even write out your prayer. And you know, sometimes when we pray publicly, we tend to use maybe some words we wouldn't use in our normal vocabulary, right? You know? We kind of modulate our voice. Our Heavenly Father, we beseech thee on behalf of all those gathered here. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's very appropriate to write out your prayers. But let's be real. There are times when you're just desperate. Is that right? And you cry out. Have you ever been there? You just cry out. And that's where you skip the uh, impressive King James talk. And you, you go right to, Dad, help. Help me. And you know what? God hears those prayers. He hears those prayers when you seek to connect with your heavenly Father. There's a wonderful little part of Psalm 34 that says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their what? Cry. To their cry. doesn't say that his ears are attentive to their vocabulary or their perfect diction. He's attentive to our cry. So friends, when you are in crisis, cry out to your heavenly Father. Connect with him. It might be when you're on the side of the road, when your car's broken down. It might be in the hospital chapel when you've got that devastating news. It might be in the parking lot at the unemployment office. It might be on a bench outside a courtroom. But if you cry out to the Lord, he will hear you. 
If you seek the Lord, he will be found. Keep calm and connect with your heavenly Father. And by the way, there's, there's great value in getting away by yourself to do this sometimes. Jesus did it. Turn off those electronic devices. Disengage. Get together with your heavenly Father. Spend that quiet time. We might feel like there's so much going on that we simply don't have time to slow down and connect with God. But I might simply ask you then, do you really feel like you're under more stress than Jesus was that Thursday evening? Do you honestly believe that you have more on your shoulders than Jesus did on that Thursday night? Find the time to disengage, to cry out, to connect with your heavenly Father. What's on your schedule for Friday? For Jesus, it was arrest and torture and abandonment and exhaustion and death. But Jesus kept calm and he connected with his heavenly Father. One of the things that struck me when I was looking at the text, it says, after Jesus had prayed three times, all right, three times, and according to Luke's account, it says that Jesus agonized during that prayer time so much in the garden that he literally sweated blood. And Jesus comes back to his community that he has created, his three closest friends, and he finds them asleep. And he says in verse 42, rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand, period. Now, if I was saying that, if I was in that situation, or if I was writing it after the fact, I'd use a bunch of exclamation points right there, right? You know, kind of like in the movies, a big dramatic moment, but Jesus is calm. He's calm because he is connected to his heavenly Father. And even though he didn't get the answer that he sought in his prayers, he didn't get the answer that he might have wanted when the time came to face Judas and the crowd of soldiers that came with him, Jesus remained calm. In fact, when you compare all four gospel accounts of this evening, there are only two times when Jesus says anything that gets an exclamation point. Just two times. The second time actually is at the moment of his death when Jesus cries out in a very loud voice, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. Exclamation point. But the first exclamation point we're going to look at in just a moment. But I want to ask, are you keeping calm? Are you keeping calm in the midst of chaos? The key is connecting with the Father. So now let's look at a third calm attitude that Jesus models for us. Number three, keep calm and show compassion. Show compassion. After Jesus says to his friends, my betrayer is at hand, Judas comes onto the scene. He comes up to Jesus in the garden followed by this band of soldiers and this crowd, and he kisses Jesus, the, the signal that he'd given to the soldiers, and the soldiers seize Jesus. And in, in verse 47, Mark tells us that one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. 
Now, we get, we get a few more details in the Gospel of John about this event. He tells us, he tells us the, ser- the servant's name was Malchus and that it was Simon Peter who was the guy who drew the sword. We find that out from John. But it's from the Gospel of Luke that we get what I think is the most amazing part right here of the story. In Luke twenty two fifty one, the words are there on the screen. Look what it said. Jesus said, no more of this, exclamation point. No more of this. Stop it. And he touched that man's ear. And he healed it. See, there's the one exclamation point at the end of the entire episode. Jesus doesn't raise his voice when he finds his disciples asleep three different times. He doesn't shout when he announces that Judas is coming. But when Peter lashes out at the servant, Jesus says, No more of this. Stop it. And then Jesus performs the very last miracle that's recorded before his death. He touches the servant's ear and completely heals him. He touches and heals the ear of one of the people who has come to arrest him. One of the people armed with swords and clubs and torches. And what does Jesus do? He extends compassion. Keep calm and show compassion. Can you imagine? I mean, what a lesson for us. When we are at our biggest moments of crisis, it's very, very tempting to turn inwards and say, you know what? I got my own problems right now. I don't have time for your junk. When things are are super hectic and chaotic, we might feel like we don't have the energy or strength or ability to serve anyone else. All we can do is survive. You know, often as a a pastor through the years, when I've been talked with somebody who's been experiencing some crisis, one, one of the bits of advice that I've often handed out was I've encouraged people to get involved doing something for somebody else when they're in the midst of a a difficult situation. And that, that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But when we feel consumed with our own problems, our own issues, pouring ourselves out for someone else's need can sometimes be just the medicine that the doctor ordered. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I experienced this in a very real way in my own life. You know, our church was going through some really stressful times. Not that long ago, we were in the midst of the pandemic. And one after another, a lot of very difficult things occurred here in our church family in a very short period of time. And I felt myself feeling anxious and depressed. One day I was sitting in my office and I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. And then I heard a voice. It wasn't God's voice. Don't worry. (laughs) But I heard a voice and it was our administrative assistant down the hall. It was Janine. And I heard Janine say, hi. This is Janine calling from church. I just wanted to see how you're doing. And she was just calling folks who were on our prayer list, just checking in with them. And it was kind of a little wake-up call for me, for the preacher. And so I got on the phone, 
And I called some people on the prayer list. And then I got in my car. And I went to visit a friend in a care facility. Now, this was at the height of COVID, when you couldn't go into care facilities at all. And I went to visit my friend, and I had to stand outside. It was raining just a little bit. I stood outside the window. He was inside the window. They gave me one of these funky little headsets. And it wasn't working right, and it was staticky, but and we were trying to talk through the window. And his side, mine was working, and his wasn't, and he was getting frustrated, and, and, and finally they got it working. But you know what? That little visit, that little visit did as much for me as it did for my friend in that care facility. I need to be reminded that when I'm feeling overwhelmed and depressed, one of the things I can do is turn my focus outward and ask, who can I serve right now? Where can I extend compassion? And so what about you? Are you feeling the strain, the burden of the chaotic world that we live in? Look around. Look around and ask yourself, who can I be a blessing to this week? Where can I serve? Who can I look outward to? Keep calm and show compassion. Well, finally, this fourth attitude that we see modeled by the Lord, really by those around him, is keep calm and follow Christ. Follow Christ. The, the last section of Scripture I want to look at this week includes a, a detail that's only found in the Gospel of Mark. It's this interesting little phrase in verse 50. Let's look at this. And they all left him and fled. That's his disciples. They all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. All right, hold on just for a minute here. Who's the naked guy in the garden? What's going on here? We don't know. This is literally the only place in Scripture that he is mentioned. None of the other gospel writers include this detail. So many of the, the commentators conclude that this young man is, is probably Mark himself, the guy writing our gospel of Mark. He, he knows something, he experienced something that nobody else did, and he included it in his biography of Jesus. Now, we'll, we'll never know that for sure. But I, I think the point is that this anonymous young man is a stand-in for all the disciples. I want you to think about this for a moment. Remember back in, in Mark 10? Back in Mark 10, we heard when, when James and John, the two brothers, they boasted that they, they were able to drink the cup that Jesus could drink. And they deserved to sit at his right and his left hand. We looked at that passage. And then right here in, in chapter 14, and if we go back just a few verses, back to verse 29, Peter, Peter tells Jesus, even though they all fall away, I won't, Lord. So Peter says, and you know what, you know the rest of that story, you know, Jesus basically says, Peter, the truth is you won't even make it through the night. Before the rooster crows, you're, you're going to deny me, not once, but three times, Peter. And even after Jesus says that, Peter's not having any of it. In verse 31, he says very emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. 
And then I want you to notice the last part there. And they all said the same. So we tend to pick on Peter and his macho-ness here, but it's all the disciples. Lord, we're with you. We are with you to the end, even if we have to die. Now, compare that to what we just read in verse 50. They all left him and fled. Talk about polar opposites within just a few hours. So you see, this young man in Mark is not the only one that ran away naked. James and John, they were stripped of all of their self-confidence that they were so proud of. Old Peter, he was stripped of his bravado, wasn't he? All of the disciples, they left behind their courage as they ran off into the night. They left behind their faithfulness. They left behind their trust in Christ. They left everything behind and fled Jesus. What a contrast to how it was way back in Mark chapter 1. If you can remember that far back, that was about 45 weeks ago when we started this. But in chapter 1, when we met these disciples, it says they left everything behind and followed him. They left their families. They left their businesses. They left their riches for this three-year road trip with Jesus. They followed him. But now they all flee. And you know, in times of crisis... When times, in times of crisis, when we put our security in stuff, it gets stripped away, doesn't it? When our security is in our health, when our security is in our finances, when our security is in our skills and our abilities, when our security is in other people, hardship has a way of stripping it all away. But when everything else is stripped away, when it's all gone, I want to follow Jesus. How about you? I don't want to be clothed in anything but his righteousness. My own confidence, that's a threadbare garment. My own righteousness, those are filthy rags. My own strength, friends, there is a pathetic suit of armor in the battle we're facing if I'm relying on my own strength. But church, when everything else is stripped away, what if instead of running away from Jesus, we run full on toward him? What if that was our go-to? What if we leave behind our own set of rusty old armor and we put on the full armor of God? What if we put no confidence in the flesh but all confidence in his spirit? What if we let Jesus clothe us in his robes of righteousness instead of our filthy rags of self-made junk? What if we put on that belt of truth and that breastplate of righteousness? What if we left behind our combat boots and we let our feet be shod with the gospel of peace? And what if we take up the shield of faith by which we can extinguish all, not some, but all the flaming arrows of the evil one? 
And so what, what if instead of, of picking up our, our sword and lashing out, lashing out at our enemies on social media, lashing out at political figures that we don't agree with, fighting with our spouse or our kids, what if instead, instead we were to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? And what if we were to keep calm and trust Jesus? What if that was the lifestyle that marked us each and every day. Andre Agassi was once one of the great professional tennis players in the world. He is the first of two men to achieve what's called the career golden slam. That means he won all four grand slam events and an Olympic gold medal. And he is the only man to win a career, what they call Super Slam, all the Grand Slams, the Olympic gold medal, and the year-end championship. The only guy to ever do that. During his 20-year tennis career, Agassi was known by the nickname, The Punisher. How about that for a nickname, The Punisher? Well, about 10 or 12 years ago, when Andre Agassi's memoir came out, a key revelation was made in his book. Andre Agassi, a former number one ranked player in the world, winner of eight grand slams, millions of dollars in winnings, Andre Agassi hated tennis. He hated I want you to listen to his words from his, his biography. He writes, I hate tennis. I hate it with a dark secret passion and I always have. I hate tennis, I hate it with all my heart, and still I keep playing. I keep hitting all morning and all afternoon because I have no choice. No matter how much I want to stop, I don't. I keep begging myself to stop and still I keep playing. And this gap, this contradiction between what I want to do and what I actually do feels like the core of my life. Those are his own words. Through tennis, he achieved wealth and celebrity and the game's highest honors. But off the court, he was often unhappy and confused and unfulfilled by his great achievements in a sport that he came to resent and, yes, even hate. When I read that, it occurred to me that, you know, that Andre Agassi's story should be a lesson should be a lesson for every one of us who struggle. How many of us struggle at times? Yeah. It should be a lesson when we struggle, when we endure difficulty, when we feel like giving up hope. It should be a lesson that rather than focus on our own victories, what did Andre Agassi do? He focused on the obstacles and defeats along the way. And so friends, what if the answer to our struggle in life is not to work harder? What if the answer is not to be, find more resilient strength from within or to find solutions from money or political ideas or self-help programs or, or other people? But what if the answer is simply to keep calm and trust Jesus. 
Friends, the more that we can live in his community, the more that we can connect with his father and show compassion to others, the more that we follow Jesus, we will find ourselves living with the anxiety and stress and heartaches of this world fading away as we trust in him. And so my very simple recommendation to you today is just this. Keep calm and trust in Jesus. Let's pray together.